Well, hello, everyone. You know, after that, those announcements, I mean, my dad gave his sermon for the day, my mom did the rap, I don't know what else is left, you know? I don't know if I should give my sermon or not. Um, but anyway, I, am, I missed you all last week. I was at youth winter camp. Um, we had a blast. We had one student in our group actually accept the Lord in, in his heart, so we're, praise the Lord for that. And you know, um, I always forget how nice it is to sleep in your own bed at home, you know, so going to camp, it's really nice because you appreciate what you have after you sleep in a room with 12 other people. <laughs> anyway, this morning we are going to talk about truth and how do we defend the existence of absolute truth. So I figured I would start with one of my favorite verses, one, one that you know where Jesus says, I am one of the ways one of the truths, and one possible life. If you want to go through the Father, that's cool. Go forth and live according to whatever feels good to you. Did Jesus say that? Did Jesus claim to be only one, I mean, to be claim to be one of many truths? Absolutely not. You know, there are at least a hundred verses in the New Testament in which Jesus claims to be the only way to get to God. Jesus seemed to think that truth and what you and I believe about truth is pretty important, wouldn't you say? So have you ever stopped and wondered, why is truth even important? Who cares? Why should you and I care about truth? Let's say we have an atheist in the audience here today, and that atheist comes up to me after service. The atheist says, Pastor Charles, you know, you've been talking a lot about truth today, but why is truth even important? Well, my response to him would be, do you want the true answer or do you want the fake one? <laughs> now think about it. If you ask whether truth is important, what do you already assume is important? Truth. It's inescapable. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. Providing truth to people is a form of love. We have to understand this as Christians, because without truth, we will perish, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Paul says people perish for eternity because they do not love the truth. My question for you is, do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? I'm going to give you three reasons why truth is so important today. Reason number one, truth has consequences. Truth and what you believe about it has consequences for your life. If you have a headache in the morning, and you haven't had your third cup of coffee, and you pick something up, you're a little blurry, and you think that you are picking up something that says Tylenol, but it's actually rat poison, consequences, right? Truth has consequences. That's why Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you don't have truth, you'll destroy your health, you'll destroy your relationships, you'll destroy your church, your family, and our nation if we keep suppressing the truth. Okay, so number two. Number two reason why truth is important. Truth is a compass for life. There is a second reason why truth matters. Okay, I want everybody to close your eyes, all right? Everybody close your eyes. Keep them closed. Now, with your eyes closed, point in the direction that you think is north. Okay, keep pointing. Not everybody's pointing. I need everybody to point. If you don't, the point is, if you don't, okay. 
Is everybody pointing? Okay, keep your hands up and open your eyes. We generally have people pointing in different directions. I think it's pretty easy because the mountains are that way and everybody knows mountains are north. But the thing is, if we were situated differently, people would be pointing in all different directions because we don't really always know what north is. But the point is, it doesn't, where north is doesn't change just because somebody has a different opinion. Uh, if you're trying to head to Canada and you're confused about the direction of north, you are going to end up somewhere very different. You know, if you end up in Mexico, you're like, whoop, okay, I think I went the wrong direction. What might help you determine where north is? A compass or GPS, right? The app on your smartphone for all the youth. It does make mistakes. Uh, truth is like a compass for our life. When we know what is true, we know what choices we should make. The first thing we learn about God in the Bible in the beginning is that God created. If something is created, there's a truth about it. It was made for a specific purpose, and there's a specific purpose about how it is supposed to operate. The Bible said, in the beginning, God created. So as a result, there's a purpose for marriage, which you'll learn on um, April 19th. Dr. Ryan and his wife are going to uh, be speaking. There's a purpose for family, and there's a purpose for sex. There's a purpose for everything. When we know that purpose and truth, and we orient our lives around that truth, then that's when we are set free. That's what freedom is. Freedom isn't doing whatever feels good to you. That's slavery. Freedom is aligning our lives with reality and living our lives according to God's design. You can take your computer and make waffles on it, or you can go snowboarding, snowboarding on it, but guess what? That's not what it was designed for, right? And if you do that, someone's bound to get hurt. I think one of the biggest lies facing the next generation is the nature of freedom. They are told, as long as it feels good, do it. As long as you choose it, do it. Be authentic to yourself. You're not responsible to anyone else. Just let you know, that's all what the world says to the next generation. Jesus says, no, no. It's actually when we know truth and live the way God has designed us to live, that's when we experience true freedom. Do you see why truth is so important? Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Lies bring slavery, but truth brings freedom. So not only does truth have consequences, but truth also brings freedom. But there's a third reason why truth is important. And the third reason is, believing is not enough. It doesn't matter how much you believe something. If it's not true, your beliefs are in vain. It doesn't matter how much you believe the Bible is true. If the Bible is not true, your beliefs are worthless. Nothing is true because you believe it. Even if I believe that I have a million dollars in my pocket, it's not going to matter. It's not going to be there, right? It, you know, I'm not missing out on too much because, you know, the government's going to take half of it, over half of it anyway. <laughs> but it's still not there. Nothing is true because we believe it, but because truth has consequences and because real freedom in life only happens when we know and follow truth. We better get truth right. In fact, Satan's whole first tactic is to feed lies into our lives. So the question is, what is truth? If it's so important... 
How do we define it? Have you ever stopped and thought, can I define what truth is? I'm going to give you a simple definition. If you write this down and think about it, it's going to serve you very well in your life. Here's the simple definition. A statement is true if it matches up with reality. You have a statement, you have a belief, you have an idea, and if reality in the world or the world is the way you describe it, then your belief is what? True. True. And if it doesn't match up, your belief is? False. Okay, great. Truth is when belief matches up with reality. See, this is how it works. We make statements, we have ideas, we hold beliefs. If the world is the way we describe it to be, our beliefs are true. You might be saying, you know what, Pastor Charles, that seems kind of obvious. In a sense, it is. It is intuitive on the inside of us, but sometimes we don't think it all the way through. You see, the reality is everybody uses this definition of truth in everyday life. But when the topic shifts to moral values or religion, people will change, change what they mean by truth. So I have an example. Oftentimes, we uh, suppress inside what we know to be the truth. And part of it is because of peer pressure, because of what people around us think. So one of the best examples of this shifting of, of truth um, is in the topic of gender. About 10 to 15 years ago, if you ask somebody how many genders there were, I think pretty much universally everyone would say two. But nowadays, people basically are saying that there's an infinity number of genders. And the question is, does people's opinion on that actually change the truth about how many genders there were? Or are? No, it doesn't. And the other reality is that uh, what people are doing in the world, what people who are secular and non-Christian are doing, is they're trying to blur the lines between what is um, sort of a preference versus what is scientific fact. And they're trying to blur the lines between what is actually science and what is actually um, religion and morality. Now, Gender, that's a scientific fact. That's a scientific issue. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to blur the lines. They've been doing this for quite some time, but this topic of gender is like the most poignant example that we have to show you how quickly they can and how quickly peer pressure can get us to change what we believe and perceive to be the truth. So if I was going to ask you your favorite ice cream, what would you all say? Okay, I'm going to just save some time here. The best flavor of ice cream is birthday cake ice cream, okay? Now, by a show of hands, who says that that is true? Raise your hand. Nobody? Oh, okay. I, I got one person who agrees with me that birthday cake ice cream is true. All right, now, who says that is false? Who says that is false? Okay, great. Now, put your hands down. We find ourselves in an interesting dilemma. How can the statement birthday cake ice cream be true for me, but not true for all of you? The answer is that we are talking about something that we call subjective. If something is subjective, it's personal and private and depends on the beliefs of the individual. It's, it's personal. In fact, the key word in subjective is subject. In a subjective claim, if you believe it's true, it's true for you. And if I believe it's true, it's true for me. So when you think of subjective claims, I want you to think of ice cream. Because ice cream preference is a matter of opinion based on whatever the person believes or thinks. What if I said birthday cake ice cream controls diabetes? 
Now, this, this is a different kind of statement, isn't it? This is no longer a preference or a subjective claim. This is a claim about the objective real world. See, this is what we call an objective claim. Objective claims are about the external world independent of what we believe. Subjective claims depend upon what you, the individual subjective or subject, believes make it true for you. But in an objective claim, it depends on the object or the world, and our beliefs can't change it. So you might think of subjective claims as internal and objective claims as external. If I had a huge cup of ice cream and I said, this is delicious. Okay, I'm going to stop you. Just to let you all know, we do have some ice cream for you all after service, okay? So I don't want you to be like thinking, oh man, we're going to be talking about ice cream all morning and then I'm going to want ice cream. We've got some ice cream for you. There's different choices, mostly because I'm a youth pastor, you know what I mean? So like I'm used to giving the, the youth treats after service. So today you all are part of my youth group, all right? Okay, so if I had a huge cup of ice cream and I said, this is delicious, is that really a claim about the ice cream or my experience with the ice cream? Yeah, that's my subjective experience with the ice cream. If I said that that same cup of ice cream is 30 grams, that's not about my experience, that's about the object. That's about the ice cream, right? So when you think of objective claims, I want you to think of insulin, because insulin is how we control diabetes. You know, our bodies normally make insulin, but people who, don't, who can't produce it on their own, they generally have diabetes, and so they have to um, have some sort of pump or some sort of device that, you know, injects that insulin into their bodies. Um, so uh, this is a claim about the real world. Now I'm going to ask you to participate with me. I'm going to put some statements on the screen and I want you to shout out one of two things very quickly. If it's a subjective claim, shout out ice cream. And if it's an objective claim, I want you to shout out insulin. Okay? Got that? Subjective, ice cream. Objective, insulin. Now, I'm not asking you whether or not these claims are true or false. I'm simply asking what kind of claim are they? If it's a preference claim, shout out ice cream. If it's an objective claim, shout out insulin. All right, good. Let's give it a shot. Ready? I'm going to need Anthony to help me on this. All right, you ready? Ice cream or insulin? Coke tastes better than Pepsi. Ice cream. Even if you don't like Coke or Pepsi, that's a preference claim. Okay, number two. Go ahead, Anthony. Diet Coke has fewer calories than regular Coke. That's insulin. Great. We are talking about a property of the soda itself, independent of what we believe about it. That's insulin. Okay, next, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's right. Mathematical claims deal with the objective real world outside of our minds. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to Piero after service because he's a math teacher. Um, number four, Hawaii is the most beautiful vacation spot on earth. Ice cream, right. But we all know it's Southern California, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, next. Um, uh, George Washington was the first president of the United States. That's insulin. Now, this is not something you can see. This is from the discipline of history. 
But we know that there is a truth about the, world, the way the world is or the way the world was, um, in this case, uh, that our beliefs don't change. Historical claims are like insulin. Okay, number six, action movies are more enjoyable than romances. Okay, good. It's a matter of preference to what you like. Number seven, uh, Earth is the center of the universe. Okay, I'm hearing both a little bit of insulin, a, bit of, a little bit of ice cream. This is actually an insulin claim. This isn't a historical claim. What kind of claim is it? Anyone know what kind of claim it is? It's scientific. But it also happens to be false. If I said 2 plus 2 equals 5, that is about the real world, the objective real world, but it's false. So that's the point, is objective claims can be objectively false, just like they can also be objectively true. So, so far you've told me mathematical, historical, and scientific claims are like insulin. I want everyone to quickly give me your answer on this one, all right? Real quick, ice cream or insulin, Number eight, abortion is wrong. Okay, how many of you think that this is like uh, ice cream? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's like uh, insulin? Okay, so, uh, you know, a little bit more insulin, a little bit more insulin than ice cream, but this is actually, um, this is not a scientific claim. This is not a historical claim. This is a moral claim. And here's the question. Are moral claims more like ice cream that are matters of preference, or are moral claims more like insulin where there is an objective truth outside of us? That's the question. And so as we're talking about this subject, I just want to give a cautionary note that God loves all of us, and, he for, and he's forgiving, and he's forgiven all of us. So on this topic, if there's something in your past that you may regret or you, you feel bad about, I just want to let you know that God is loving and forgiving, and he has forgiven you for any past sins that you've asked for forgiveness for. And this community is a loving uh, community and loves you no matter you know, what you have done in your past. But sometimes you get arguments from pro-choice people that say, if you don't like an abortion, then don't have one. But does that work with other moral issues? Like, say, for example, slavery. No, it doesn't. We are against slavery because we know it is objectively wrong to mistreat a human being based on something like their skin color. You see what what pro-choice people are trying to say with this argument? If you don't like an abortion, don't have one. If you don't like the chicken, get fish. If you don't like coffee, get tea. As if the question of the morality of abortion is entirely a matter of an opinion like ice cream. Think about this. If all moral claims are like ice cream, you can't judge any moral behavior as being uh, as wrong any more than you can tell someone that they shouldn't like Birthday cake ice cream. You have no right to judge all the men who have sexually abused women and been brought to the surface by the Me Too movement if morality is like ice cream. You have no right to judge any act of racism if morality is like ice cream. You have no right to judge Hitler or Stalin who slaughtered countless numbers of people in the name of atheism if morality is like ice cream. But guess what? No one actually believes that. We say we think morality is like ice cream because our culture has told us that, 
That may be true for you, but not true for me. It's all a matter of opinion. No one actually believes that. You say, how can you make such a claim? Well, one reason I can make that claim is it's in the Bible. Romans 2, in Romans 2, Paul says that even those, even those without the law um, know the law exists and have it written on their hearts. That's why they know the law is because it's written on their hearts. And oftentimes you see this a lot with people who are atheists or people who are non-Christians because they'll say, oh, well, on certain issues they'll say, okay, well, whatever's true for me, that's true for me. Whatever's true for you, that's true for you. But then they'll start to name call and they'll start to accuse and judge Christians and say we're hateful and say we're bigots. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, oh, well, morality is relative, but then, oh, those Christians, they're hateful and bigoted. You can't have it both ways. That's not logically consistent. Either there's no such thing as morality or there's no absolute truth or you're the, you're the holder of the absolute truth and you can judge other people. Um, so what that means from Romans 2, it means that even people who do not believe in God are made in the image of God and know there is a right and know that there is a wrong. You want to know what someone believes about morality? It's not by what they say or do, it's how they want to be treated. If someone tells you there is no such thing as right and wrong, cut in front of them in line and see how they respond. They will probably appeal to an objective moral standard of who got in line first? We know moral questions are like insulin. By the way, if morality was like ice cream, what would that do to the gospel? Why would Jesus even have to die? There's no point, because there would be no such thing as sin. Here is the question of abortion. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine something for me, okay? After, um, you go home after service, you get home and you are so thankful for your family that you decide to do the dishes that are left over from Sunday morning breakfast. Now, I know maybe for some of the youth especially, but maybe some of you also, this is going to take a really great deal of imagination, okay? So just stick with me here, all right? So you go inside and you turn and you are doing the dishes, right? You're doing the dishes. I don't know how many of you do the dishes like this. Most of you do it like this. Okay, um, so you turn, and you're doing the dishes, and then someone in your family who is about five or six walks in, and while your back is turned, says, can I kill this? Now, before you say yes or no, what are you going to ask if your back's turned? What is it, right? If you turn around and it's a roach, you say, yeah, go for it, right? If you turn around and the kid says it's a cute bunny, you'd be like, why do you want to hurt that cute bunny, right? What's wrong with you? If you turn around and the kid says, hey, I picked this infant out of a carriage down the street. Can I kill this? You'd be like, whoa, definitely not, all right? What's wrong with you? You need to go to counseling or something. <laughs> Here's the principle. Listen carefully. How we treat something depends on what it is. That's why we treat human beings differently than rocks or differently than a roach. Do you know what the question with abortion is? What is the unborn? If it's just a bunch of tissue, then no justification is necessary. If the unborn objectively is a human being, then what justification is adequate? Either the unborn is human or it is not. Either we are taking the life of an innocent human or it is not. Um, so in our church, one of the reasons why, I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, we had some baby models in the back. And the reason why we have those baby models is because we want people to see objectively, you know, that a baby inside of the womb has fingers, has toes. We want to know all about the development. And when 
when you see those models and when you see on an ultrasound, it's very difficult to argue and say that it is not a human being inside the womb. But the point is, is that our opinions don't change the, the whether or not it is a human or whether or not it, whether it is or whether it's not. I think you realize from this discussion that moral questions are more like insulin than they are like ice cream. Okay, two more. Ice cream or insulin? Number nine, Jesus was a carpenter. Insulin, good. He was a carpenter. That's a historical fact. Number 10, Jesus resurrected as proof he is divine. Insulin, good. Now, it's a historical claim that's tied to theology. The claim of the resurrection is an objective claim. Either Jesus is God or he is not. I hope you realize that nobody dies and goes to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus. I know that sounds controversial. No one dies and goes eternally to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus. I said it again. According to the scripture, people die and go to hell because of a rebellion against their creator, because of a moral virus the Bible calls sin. And to say that Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad or Joseph Smith, for those of you who don't know, that's the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or any other figure can forgive my sins, is like saying birthday cake ice cream controls diabetes. It doesn't work in the objective real world. Do you know why Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus is the only one who fixed the problem that separated us from God. The problem is sin, and Jesus is the only one who paid for sin. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Okay, so here's another example. If your car breaks down and you're out of gas, does it do any good to rotate the tires or get a new transmission? You're not going to go anywhere, right? You have to identify the problem and fix it. The problem is that there is an objective moral standard grounded in God's character. And when we sin, we are separated from God. And Jesus is the only one who paid for sin. That's why Jesus is the only way. See, if you were there with Jesus, you could have actually seen him nailed to the cross. You could have actually reached out and touched the cross and gotten a splinter in your hand and felt the trickle of warm blood that had a specific blood type. If you were actually there with Thomas, who said that he didn't believe, you could put your, your hands in the holes in his finger, or your, your finger in the holes in his hands. You could put your hands where the spears pierced his sides. If you were there at the empty tomb, you could have ducked down. You could have seen the stone rolled away. You could have stepped inside, smelt the scent of a musty tomb, and seen the linen cloth of Jesus laying there in the tomb. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Christianity, think about this for a second. Christianity depends upon the testable, single, historical event of the resurrection. If it happened, Christianity is true. If it didn't, Christianity is false. That means Christianity isn't true for me or true for you. That means... means Christianity is true or false, and either you believe it or you don't. 
The problem is people say that other things feel true to me. What we are told is that as long as something feels right, it must be true for you. Nothing, friends, is true because you feel it. In fact, if you live your life based on your feelings, you're going to destroy your life. Don't, ground, don't guard your mind by your feelings. Guard your feelings by your mind. Okay, last objection, people say, right? Well, people say all religions are true, right? Have you ever heard of this before? Many people will say, as long as you believe something sincerely, then it's true for you. There is a pretty obvious problem with this, and it raises the question, can all religions be true? So I created this chart. Well, I didn't create it. I found it. Um, this is a chart about what all different religions believe, all right? And so I have the five biggest religions of the world. We've got Buddhism, we've got Hinduism, we've got Judaism, we've got Islam, and we've got Christianity, right? I don't know if you can see. Can you guys see all the way down at the bottom? All right. So what do, what do uh, Buddhists believe about God? They believe that there is no God. There is no personal God. Many of them actually are atheists, believe it or not. Um, and then Hindus, they believe in many gods. In fact, they believe in 330 million gods. All right? Jews believe in one God called Yahweh. Muslims believe in one God called Allah. And Christians believe in one God, one God in being who exists as three persons that we refer to as the Trinity, right? I always like, this is like a rule of thumb I always like to tell people. You know, um, Jews believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they, no, I'm sorry, they believe in God and the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in Jesus. And uh, Muslims believe in God, but they don't believe in the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Christians believe in all three. So the point is, is that all these religions can't be true, right? You've got, you've got five different belief systems, and they call their gods different things. Um, look at salvation. Can salvation be, if you look on the chart, different religions, okay, so let's see. Uh, Buddhism believes in enlightenment for salvation, Hinduism, reincarnation, Judaism, the law, Islam, five pillars, and Christianity believes in grace. Can all those be true? No. If it's by grace, it's definitely not by the law, and if it's by the law, it's definitely not by grace. Those are mutually exclusive um, ideas and thoughts. All religions uh, believe also that they are uniquely true. So, you see up here, they all say they're the true way, or it's just Judaism, just Islam, just Christianity. So you, the question is, what about Hinduism? Well, Hinduisms will say Christianity is true, but what, what do they mean by that? Hind, um, they mean Christianity is true if you take Christianity within the Hindu system. Then it's true. So basically, it's not true on its own terms. If you take Christianity on its own terms, then Christianity is actually false, according to Hindus. Um, every belief system thinks it's right and others are wrong. Even people who say all religions are true, and I'm not going to judge anybody, actually, um, what they're saying is all other religions are false on their own terms, and they're judging people who actually think that they are right. You can't get away from it. Here's the reality. All religions can be false, but they cannot all possibly be true. All these re religions here could be false, but they can no more be true than I have one head, three heads, 330 million heads, and no head. 
All religions can be false, but they can't all be true. Jesus didn't say, I am one way, one truth, and one life. He didn't say, hey, live according to however you feel. Jesus claimed to be the eternal God who came in human flesh and the gatekeeper to a meaningful life now and salvation for eternity. And he said, what you and I believe about him is the single most important decision we make for eternity. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Not me, Jesus. We need to take the words of Jesus seriously. Amen. He seemed to care a lot about truth. And so should we. If we follow truth, it will be well with us, not only in this life, but also for eternity. So right now, what I want to do is um, I want to give everyone an opportunity. If you haven't given your life over to Christ, I want to give us all that opportunity right now. So if everyone could close your eyes and bow your heads, I'd appreciate that. So now, if, if you're saying to yourself, if you're saying, Lord, you know, I've called myself a Christian. I've claimed that I am a Christian, Father. But if you look at my life, Lord, it is not in accordance with your word and with Scripture, Father. I haven't viewed Christianity and your resurrection as being objective truth and objective reality. Lord, I've, I've viewed it more in the sense of Christianity is true for me and uh, other religions are true for others. Lord, and if you're saying to yourself, Lord, I want to accept you into my heart, not as something that feels good or that feels right, but something that I know is objectively true and right because I am a sinner. And you solve the problem of that sin because you died on the cross for me. If you're, if you're saying that to yourself right now, I want you to raise your hand. 